On this week's episode, we do the twist with Pulp Fiction. Does editing matter? Is this the racial slur crossover event of the 90s? And what's all this fuss over a yellow light bulb? Find out now, you're listening to 24 Flames Per Second. Per second, it's a podcast that roasts the films we love the most. Everybody, as always, I'm your host Robert Bohorkas, and welcome to um, another episode. Everybody, welcome back. Um, we're excited to get into it. We were, we were just talking about we weren't. Um, I'm not sure that we've done a Quentin Tarantino movie on the show before. Um, probably mainly because he's a Roman Polanski apologist, but we'll <laughs> talk about that on the post show if yeah. we if we must. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, everybody, um, the, off to a great start here. Yeah, um, yeah. We're talking about um, we're talking about Pulp Fiction this week, everyone. Um, and uh, and I think I think we're all excited to do so for the most part. Um, but but yeah, let's uh, let's um, let's dive into it. I don't think we got any time to waste. Um, you can stay tuned to the break for um, Patreon updates, everybody. Um, but but yeah, I'm excited to excited to dive in. Um, I'll start with uh, he's right next to me for the first time in a minute. Um, the Jimmy to my Winston, Kevin Connor. Ha ha ha! Hey, how's it going? <laughs> this is good. How are you? I'm you know I'm in the studio for the first time. Mm-hmm. What feels like years. It's I mean it almost has been years. So. I, I know I know it's it's the it's the last remains of summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about Pulp Fiction, so I'm, I'm doing as well as yeah. I can be. Yeah. All things considering, I suppose. Yeah. Um, did you watch the movie this week? I was halfway through rewatching this movie. Yes. Uh, and then I went to go to the bathroom. Uh, and as I was coming out of the bathroom, I got submachine gun down. <laughs> oh. So, didn't get to finish it, but I have seen it before. And Amy, poor Amy's at home, fixing the, the shower door, ordering the new glass. One of those situations. <laughs> um, but, uh, but well, what do you know about it? You could tell, you share it with the class. Right, I mean, like, today we got, we got a doozy. It's the one, the only, the 1994 mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction. Um, I probably don't have to tell our listeners or anyone at this table. You already mentioned it. It's directed by Quentin Tarantino mm-hmm. um, as his second completed directorial effort. It's also written by him, along with uh, some story credit by uh, Roger Avery. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably don't have time to get into everyone that's into this movie. There's a lot of actors. Yeah. But, you know... Name them. John Travolta, Samuel Jackson, mm-hmm. Uma Thurman, Thing Rames, Bruce Willis, Christopher yeah. Walken, Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth. The list goes on. Um, and Pulp Fiction kind of landed with a cinematic splash when it debuted at yeah. the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, it won the, the Palme d'Or. It also won the, the Academy Award for Best Screenplay, earning nominations for a host of other things, yeah. including Travolta, Jackson, Thurman, directing and editing. So there's lots wow. of laurels with this flick. But... Although Zed might be dead, is our love for this film also deceased, Robert? Uh, Have we OD'd on Tarantino banter? Or does this film still act as the adrenaline shot to our hearts? I'm excited. We got a good good, uh, uh, cast today. Yeah. Roasters and Defense. So I'm excited to get into it. We got a head-to-head. But there's one thing you didn't mention, a little Easter egg that I love about this movie that I thought you might mention, but you didn't. Um, Hit me. And it's the guy. It's the guy who's just a coffee shop. Did you, have you never known that? The guy is just a coffee shop. So, what? Steve Buscemi plays Buddy Holly in the diner. Oh, yeah. there's As also a, that. Yeah. But no, the guy who's just a coffee shop. Um, so it's when Tim Roth is, they're finally doing the heist at the mm-hmm. in the last scene at the at the diner. Um, and he's hold, the manager, he's like shaking him. And the guy, I think he's supposed to, his full line was supposed to be, I'm just a coffee shop manager or owner or something. Right. All the whole line he gets out ends it, I'm just a coffee shop. <laughs> <laughs> and he's credited in the credits as coffee shop. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's very fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so um, very good. That's great. We can, uh, we can dive into, yeah, as we mentioned, our head-to-head that we've got this week. Um, and we'll start with, we'll start with our roaster. 
Uh, Seattle Cinephile, you can find her on Instagram at XanderC33. Alexander Calero. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm I'm surviving, you know. Yeah. It's summer and still COVID and yeah, yeah. happy to resent, <laughs> represent all women when discussing Quentin Tarantino. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, somebody has to. <laughs> and it's been Uma Thurman for so long. <laughs> um, well, it's, uh, it's great to have you here. Excited to get into it. Um, on defense this week, he's a writer and he's a teacher of some of the children. Uh, his name is Brian Tapes. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, as we speak. I'm getting ready to go back to school. Yeah. To in-person teaching. Oh boy. So, with masks and all. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm <laughs> glad. I'm grateful that they're mandating vaccines for all of us. Yeah. In our school districts. So. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. That's one of the. Yeah, I'm into it. Um, well, great, good. It's great to have you here. Uh, you know, all, we're all masked up, as y'all saw on our social media feeds this week, too. Uh, we're taking it seriously. I'm going to take this opportunity also. Just go get vaccinated, you turkeys. Um, <laughs> and, st- and stay home if you're not. I don't want to see you. Um, anyways, but um, it's great. It's great to have you here as well. Um, and so let's get in. We're going to start things off the same way we always start things off. Movie in a minute. Um, and so, yeah, Brian, give us the full plot synopsis of Pulp Fiction, spoilers and all, and we'll give uh, you 60 seconds and a three count. Before you start, I just want to note to the listener, I'm going to do this chronologically, so I'm not going to do it in the way the audience sees the film. I'll do it as, like, what the stories are The way the audience thinks the film. Yes, exactly. All right. Um, That's, I mean, that's great. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. Cool. Um, okay, uh, here we go. In three... Two, one, go! All right, two hitmen, Vince and uh, Jules, are sent to pick up their uh, bosses, Marcellus's briefcase. Um, they get to the place, um, they find the briefcase, uh, they kill everyone there except Marvin. Uh, they are shot at by somebody in the bathroom. Uh, none of the bullets hit them. Uh, Jules thinks it's divine intervention. Uh, they go into the car. Ju- Vince accidentally shoots Marvin in the face. They have to take it to a, uh, a friend of Jules. Uh, they call the wolf. The wolf comes in and uh, fixes them up and gets rid of the car. They go, uh, Jules and Vince go and get breakfast. They're held up by Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. Um, Jules has a moment of clarity where he realizes earlier he doesn't want to be in crime anymore. Uh, he, shoot, I'm losing my momentum. Uh, he um, uh, holds up uh, Pumpkin at gunpoint. Uh, he lets him go and Honey Bunny go. Uh, then throughout this dialogue or <laughs> earlier, uh, uh, Vince tells uh, Jules. And you're yeah, yeah, it wasn't time. But, I mean, pretty good. I mean, that's halfway through, right? Um, <clears throat> it's a long movie. It's a long movie. Yeah, yeah. It's most. I mean, that's most of the way through. I think. I mean, we're only up to Butch, right? Butch. Um, yes. For the most part. Um, and so yeah, they take and they drop. They get their shit all cleaned up, and um, they go and they're dropping the thing off with Marcellus Wallace. Um, and then I forget what. But, oh, Butch stole money from him. That's right. Um, well, he's yeah. He's offered a a bribe by yeah, yeah. Uh, Marcellus to. Um, to fall in the fifth round. Right. To, yeah. To, um, Take, oh, a dive. Take a dive. Take a dive. Wins the fight. Tries to escape. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Loses his watch. Uh, well, he didn't we, lose we've his We've also part. neglected yeah. the entire Uma Thurman section. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, well, that, yeah, that happens, that happens like before. That, so it's the it's, diner scene and then, then Marcellus. It's Mia. diner scene, then the the date, mm-hmm. then the stuff with Butch. Yeah, yeah. Butch right. ends that's the right. mo- ends yeah. the movie essentially. Yeah, yeah. Because cool. oh, yeah. he gets he leaves. Yeah. Um, with Zed, it's Chapa. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of ultimately it, right? And yeah. He, 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 Vincent is gonna go kill him to get, get the money back from Marcellus, but uh, Butch finds him in his bathroom and shoots him, just like poor Kevin here. Um, and then there's this whole. Uh, they, him and Marcel's run into a pawn shop and they uh, get all gimped up and then they gotta escape from that and then he kinda, he skips town and um, and, and gets and leaves, gets away um, and that's the end of the movie um, chronologically chronologically, that's the end of the movie it ha- that happens at like three quarters of the way through <laughs> so um, yeah, we'll get we'll get into we'll get into the out of orderness of it all, um, but but yeah, everybody, that's um, that's gonna that's that's moving in a minute. Um, so we're gonna take a take a quick break. 
Um, when we come back, Brian, we'll get your opening statements why you're here defending Pulp Fiction. Um, and so, yeah, everybody, we will be right back. Hey everybody, it's uh, it's me, it's Robert again. Hello, um, and welcome to the break in the middle of the show, the uh, the intermission, if you will. Um, ooh, I gotta think of a fire pun for intermission, flintermission. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, everybody just wanted to uh, tell you about what we got going over on Patreon um, this this month and moving forward. Um, we got a, a September drink along that should be up by now by the time you're hearing this. Um, and if it's not, um, it's very soon on the way. We don't know what's going to be yet, but uh, but it's coming. Um, and then we hope you all have been enjoying the uh, the flame off episodes that Quasi has been uh, producing with us. Um, those are, those have been fun to 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 do as well. Just kind of get some some new folks in the mix and to, you know argue about things in a different way. It's fun and good. Um, and um, also on my to do list, I promised that the last one of these breaks I did. Um, was to start doing hot takes every week, but it's been a busy summer, as we all know, and so I'm, I'm getting to it. We're getting there. This, um, as you're, when you're hearing this, I should have been back on the horse for a couple weeks. So, um, yeah, hope, um, hope those are feel like they're worth your while too. Um, and so, yeah, everybody, that's uh, that's everything for Patreon. We're cooking up some other new ideas for more stuff coming soon um, as well. That'll be in addition to this, trying to beef out some of these tiers. Um, and so keep an eye out for, for updates on, on those things, and we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for your, for your support. And everybody who's hearing this that isn't already a Patreon supporter, head to patreon.com slash 24flamespod, and there's a whole bunch of good stuff over there. The extended plays, um, all the other stuff I just mentioned, and more. And, more. Uh, and so... Um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Um, now back, uh, back to the show. And we're back, everybody. Welcome back to our Pulp Fiction episode. Um, uh, just before the break, Brian, uh, just before the bake, before the break, Brian, um, would you, you got a little tiny peek in the suitcase, but you didn't get to <laughs> take anything with you, just like old, um... Tim Roth. <laughs> I always forget his character. Pumpkin. Pumpkin. Because we hear Honey Bunny so much. Right. Yeah. And she never says pumpkin. Um, okay, anyways, um, let's get your opening statements. Why are you here defending Pulp Fiction? Sure. Um, well, Pulp Fiction is one of my uh, top five favorite movies of all time. Um, I would argue that it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, mm. Quentin Tarantino, uh, albeit a problematic figure in our culture, is mm. also a incredibly influential one uh, and I think Pulp Fiction is probably his masterpiece um, I think the movie excels in dialogue in characterization in uh, I would I would argue in plot as well um, I think if anyone is interested in studying film or becoming a filmmaker or interested in making art I think Pulp Fiction is required viewing mm-hmm. um, I also think that I just love Pulp Fiction because the first time I saw it, uh, it really opened my eyes to what you can do with film and art and cinema and all that stuff. I was like, I've said this before on the podcast, but it's one of those things where it's like, wow, you can do that in cinema? That's amazing. Um, I also think that Pulp Fiction is a pretty much a touchstone film of the 90s. It completely impacted and influenced independent filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Um, It had an influence. It revitalized the careers of John Travolta, uh, Uma Thurman, Samuel Jackson, in some ways Bruce Willis. Um, It really uh, allowed for other independent filmmakers to uh, empower them to create more films and looked at sort of and Miramax became the sort of like place. Unfortunately, it has some <laughs> obvious ties to some problematic Weinstein fellows. Yeah. Um, but regardless, I think what's also important about this film and what I'm really excited about debating and talking about with Alexandra is the idea that um, for me, I think it's important to hold space for it being an influential and touchstone film mm. of postmodernism to recognize that it's a... Uh, uh, a mastercraft in that regard, but also recognize the problematic nature of Quentin Tarantino and looking at it from a 2021 lens. I mm-hmm. think it's important to hold space for both of those uh, diverging points, and I'm really excited to get into it and okay. defend that. Yeah, great. Um, well, uh, Alexandra, why don't we start with the plot? So That's much. That's the first thing you want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess. Like, 
I would disagree about there being a plot. And it's not just because <laughs> the movie is not told in this kind of straightforward manner. But it doesn't feel like there's much of a through line with mm. it. Um, you know, there's an attempt to make a through line so that we, the audience, can be like, okay, even though it's disjointed, even though this is not, you know, a start-to-finish movie, but it's more like a middle-to-start-to-finish movie, um, you know, here are these characters we're going to follow. But the thing is, we don't actually follow these characters we're introduced to as our beacon. Mm. You know, you'd expect if the attempt was, okay, I'm going to tell this essentially vignettes um, for characters that are um, connected to Marcellus Wallace, and we're going to introduce you to this guy and this kind of culture, this, you know, uh, world that they inhabit through Jules and Vince. I'd expect them to be in some way involved in every vignette. And that's not the case. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the Butch is the biggest example of that, be, you know, just because John Travolta gets shot, you know, in the middle of the vignette doesn't mean it really kind of follows through as a plot and saying, here are these characters and here's this story we're going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thing is like, I will grant you that there are some well-written scenes mm-hmm. in it. Um, and there are some, you know, well-written speeches that are given by the characters and some really interesting conversations that they have. But the whole movie to me seems like padding. Mm-hmm. Um, I've created this scene that I really like and this speech that Samuel L. Jackson gives in the diner when he finally understands what he's talking about when he gives his his Ezekiel speech mm. in the apartment. He finally understands that he's not, you know, the one guy, he's the other guy in it. Um, but you can't craft an entire narrative around that mm. um, without having that stuff play out kind of throughout the movie. And I didn't see that for me. It just didn't, um, it, it didn't hold, uh, it didn't hold together. It was just, it was crafted around like, I've got this awesome scene and I've got that scene. And they're going to dance to music in this, you know, 50s-themed diner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't have an idea of how to get from point A to point B. And therefore, I'm going to mix it all up in a bag and pull scenes out. And I'll, I'll stitch it all together. And that's how I'll get away with not having a cohesive idea here. Sure. Um, I think uh, all the points you make are incredibly valid. Um, I think that you, what I'm hearing you say is this idea that it's maybe more... It's maybe more focused on the characters versus the plot is what I'm I'm getting from that, and I, a I would little yeah I, I would say it's like it is not necessary. It's more of like a character study, I would say, than like a like plot driven film. But I do think that like it still follows plot structure. I mean, if you look, if you break down all the vignettes or all three of the storylines, the Bonnie situation, the Gold Watch. Uh, the Mia Marcel, uh, yeah, Vincent Mia, and Mia. V- Vincent and yeah. Mia. Thanks. Um, I would say that like Vincent is obviously the protagonist of that piece. Um, Jules is the protagonist of the Bonnie situation. Um, Butch is the bro- obviously the protagonist mm-hmm. of uh, the Gold Watch, right? So I do think it still follows like um, structure, like exposition, rising action. I, I think all of that is there. Um, and then you mentioned the idea of like there not being a through line. I think the through line is in the is in a couple of things. One is the the whole piece I believe is about redemption. I believe that all the characters, there, it, you know, if you look at each of the pieces, there is a um, a focus on redemption and a focus on spirituality or a lack thereof of spirituality within the characters. And I think there's a, there's a few really important symbols. Like a couple that come to mind is one the suitcase. I think the suitcase is a pretty big through line. And I would even argue you, um, that the suitcase is like one of the defining symbols of the film. Um, and also, and I know you I just saw you roll your eyes at that. Uh, and, and, the, and the idea of the bathroom, right? Vincent Vega going to the bathroom. He goes to the bathroom in each one of those vignettes and something usually bad happens afterward. So I do think that there is, I do think there is a through line. I'm sticking to the redemption um, piece of that. Um, and I do think that it still follows plot structure, but I can see as watching it being um, sort of jarred out of it. But I do think that that was maybe Tarantino's intention was to, uh, you know, he was borrowing from and paying homage to all these French filmmakers and all this stuff about and using nonlinear structure to really uh, have the audience, what I've heard in other uh, interviews, is like chase after the film. He wants the audience to be paying attention to the movie. Um, and I think that the way he sets it up, he does that really masterfully. 
Well, I'm going to put a pin in the briefcase. <laughs> Please. Um, <laughs> I'm going to come back to that. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, I do I do acknowledge that there is a plot structure within each of the vignettes. I yeah. don't think that the plot structure holds for the entire movie. So mm. if he had decided that what he was going to do was make a series of vignettes, yeah. almost like, I mean, this is a terrible example, um, Parish Attempt, the uh, movie, you know, was a bunch of different directors yeah. all doing love. Yeah. So they could all be Tarantino movies. They could all be, you know, people who are... Um, involved with Marcellus Wallace, what, you know, that kind of thing. But if you had made it in a manner which it was like, here is this story. It is contained within this, you know, beginning, middle, and end. And now I'm going to move on to the next piece. Mm -hmm. And these are also people that Marcellus knows or are, you know, um, connected to in some way. And there's a beginning, middle, and end. But so what I'm talking about is like the trying to then say, no, 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 but it is all still one plot. It's all still one beginning, middle, end versus mm. um, what essentially it feels like is a series of short films right. that he's created and then went, but they're all part of a big story, which doesn't right. work for me. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I, um, yeah. So that's that's kind of what I mean is like you know I I acknowledge that within you know within those vignettes within those moments there there is a there is a definite plot plot arc I mean right. you know there's you know the redemption thing there's this okay what what is what is our issue how do we solve it yeah, you know yeah. this is the resolution rising action yeah exactly <laughs> thank you yeah um, but it doesn't like so like I said you'd expect that to happen in like a three act thing over a two and a half hour movie not a three act thing thing in thirty minutes and then another in yeah. thirty minutes and then another in thirty minutes yeah where for me it's a momentum killer it's like mm. I, it's hard to invest in characters whether I like them or not if it's like okay so this story is done now yeah and now i've got to move on to another story yeah but you're telling me that it's still of equal importance to this story and still ties back to the story but got i it. don't see how so like starting the uh starting the movie with uh pumpkin and honey bunny and yeah. then just like nothing happens with that because he decides he wants to start with this right. scene to throw you off the mark mm -hmm. and then we're going to circle back to it at the end just make it one cohesive yeah. you know 30 minute piece mm -hmm. um and it kind of makes me it, it to me it all ties in also to him defining the word pulp at the beginning of the movie <laughs> yeah. which is like this is my umbrella coverage of i can do whatever the fuck i want <laughs> sure because i've defined the word pulp sure. for you yeah um, and we're just supposed to accept it. Totally, totally. And and again, like I think you like I'll stick on the definition. Like I think the definition is sort of um, is is a is a feature of postmodernist filmmaking. It's, that sounds very pretentious, <laughs> but that's what it fucking is. Um, it's a feature uh -huh. of postmodernist filmmaking, right? Is to be yeah. self-referential, yeah. right? And I think that in a way, like. I think it does work for me the way he structures the film because it allows for things like dramatic irony where, you know, we go through, for example, um, we learn so much about the characters and what will happen to the characters. Um, and then we get to the Bonnie, situ or the Bonnie situation and then we're thrust back into the, the scene, um, that really iconic scene with uh, them retrieving the briefcase, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we learn about those characters. Like we learn that, um, we learn that Vincent will die. Uh, and then we also learn about the fact that like there's somebody in the, in the room waiting to like shoot them, right? I think there are things that like that works for me because, and I, and I feel like, and this is my like subjective opinion. Like, I I'm not looking at my watch when the film goes by. Like, because I'm 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 in trance and uh, engaged in the dialogue. Right, the dialogue is like, it's it's very funny. It's very clever. And I also think it's a um, it's what separated that film from other films of the time. Like, we're hearing two hitmen who usually usually we start at the scene of the crime. Right, we start with the hit. Mm -hmm. But we see these two men, like, we're following them as they talk about just, like, mundane shit that shouldn't matter. Like, the metric system and how that relates to McDonald's. And, like, uh, uh, and then we also, like, Quentin Tarantino does a nice job of, like, just giving us a little bit of exposition to keep us engaged. Um, but I love that line that Jules says, like, oh, let's get into character. And then you see a complete shift in that character. So we learn about these characters through dialogue. And we learn, and, and we learn about um, things that we... We had a, a preconceived notion about this situation, and then we learn more information with that sort of chopped up uh, plot plot line. And I also think that like he, there is organization to the film, like there are title cards before each each thing. So in a in a way, it does feel like 
you know, to reference the title, it does feel like you're looking at a piece of Pulp Fiction. Um, but I do, I don't know, I, I do feel like it still lives within that universe and it, and it works for me. Um, so you brought up the dialogue. Yeah. And, you know, I, I understand the idea of trying to um, subvert audience expectations yeah. or, um, you know, preconceived notions of who these characters are by like, you know, like, oh, let's, let's show that they're intelligent or they have these conversations. Yeah. The problem is, I think that um, Tarantino undermines himself within mm. those conversations, whether it's Jules and Vince or any of these other conversations by saying, here are these guys. We're going to say that they are, you know, potentially above, you know, the, the status they've given themselves or the roles that they've given themselves. But then to have them turn around before they're in character and have them referring to women as bitches, mm-hmm. which I'm sorry, I have never found as a term of endearment. And so, no. you know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like you can't, you can't have it both ways. And, I, yeah. and that's part of the problem that I have with the dialogue is he attempts to have it both ways. Here are these guys. They're playing a role. They're, they are better than what um, society sees them as. But mm-hmm. yet, even before they're in character, they're still behaving the way we see them you know as a society they're still referring to women as bitches yeah women are still um you know well they're criminals (laughs) (laughs) they're degenerate (laughs) people like they're um, not likable people no i'm you know i don't you know that that is that to me is almost irrelevant because Mm. you know unlikable people can still have a respect for somebody Mm-hmm. Right, just because they're crim- I mean, that's the thing is you're saying okay, yeah. they're criminals, but look, they have this whole conversation about the metric right. system and living in Amsterdam, right. and they have conversations <laughs> that you wouldn't expect two hitmen to be having. Right, right, right. But right. to then you know turn around and talk about what you can and can't do with a woman because of her husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's problematic to me. You know, the totally. other um, the other scene that comes to mind is the conversation between. Um, Vince and Eric Stoltz when uh, Vince is buying the, the heroin. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he specifically says, what am I, an N-word? Oh, yeah, You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, here, yeah. I'm, I'm not some N-word. Yeah. I can't remember exactly how he said it, which was just like this, let me demean this entire group of people mm-hmm. and just be like, all of them are like drug dealers and all of them are stupid. Yeah. Right? And so, <laughs> again, you can't have these conversations that they're having and then and say, but these are when they're not in this character of right. drug dealer or, or hitman. Right. I mean, if that's not the um, the people they are when they're not playing that role, then that's not a conversation they'd be having. It's not a way they'd be speaking. Well, I would, I would argue that, like, I think that two things. One, I feel like the film is a product of that time, right? Now we can look at, at, at a film like yeah. that in 2021 and see Quentin Tarantino, a white man using the n-word and using certain uh uh homophobic uh racist sexist language as uh not being okay right mm-hmm. um but i think at the time that the film was made i don't think it gives it a pass but in a way it's paying homage to those sort of hard-boiled crime like the, you know look at the way that like detectives and and degenerate characters from the films that he was drawing on speak to one another mm-hmm. it's incredibly outdated and problematic but in the spirit of what he was trying to do, which is, I believe, Pulp Fiction is this homage kind of pastiche of all these influences and things. I'm not saying it makes it okay, right. but I'm saying that it makes it gives, I think, justification for why the characters are speaking the way they are. Now we can look at it and say, well, yeah, it's problematic. Right. We but, don't want I to mean... be speaking that way. <laughs> and I and I would say, in Once Upon a Time yeah. in in Hollywood, um, I think that. Perhaps Quentin Tarantino learned that from previous... Like, that's a completely other conversation for a completely uh, yeah. different movie. But at least, like, for me, um, it goes back to what I was saying in my opening statement. I think it's important to recognize that yeah. that is the language that those characters are using are problematic. Um, but I also think looking at it within the context of when the film was made and what his intentions were at the time is what I'm more, for me as a critic and mm-hmm. somebody who's looking at it, that's I'm interested in exploring that point. Because, um, yeah, for me, I'm just like, I still, like, granted, I still find the use of those words really cringy looking at that today. But for the, major- for the most part, most of the dialogue is, is, is very funny. And most of it is very, like, it, it, it is, uh, it's well-written. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> 
But but did you, you had a point about the briefcase? So I think, um, in particular, the briefcase might be one of the worst MacGuffins in cinema history. Because usually you get introduced to this item. Yeah. And, you know, it's usually within the first third or so of the movie. You're told that it has significance to the plot, to the people, whatever it is. It's going to play a role somewhere. Yeah. Um. The problem is it doesn't carry through the whole movie. Mm. And so to have it be introduced in the way it's introduced in that uh, scene, it disappears until it pops up in the diner yeah. after we've like gone, oh, we're back to what happens exactly after the, um, the apartment. And then we're still like this this briefcase is important to Marcellus. Yeah, yeah. So my problem with it as a MacGuffin is, one, it being called a MacGuffin because mm-hmm. it doesn't play throughout the whole movie. Now, if it had popped up as something that Butch then stole when, yeah. he, when he ran, yeah. you know, to, to um, imbue it with slightly more importance right. than um, by, by having it featured in the movie more because I think we've, we've put so much stock in it because we, as the audience, are never told what's in the briefcase. People mm-hmm. go, oh, my God, it's such an important piece in the movie. Yeah. But when they first go into the apartment mm-hmm. to confront Marvin and Brett and whoever the dude on the couch eating the cereal is. Flock of seagulls. Right. You know, we we just assume based on the conversation, it's like, oh, you remember Marcellus? You screwed Marcellus over. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that could be anything. Right. That could be... He lent you money to buy drugs, and you didn't pay him back. Yeah. Right? You were supposed to lay a bunch of bets. Yeah. And you collected and didn't pay him back. And then all of a sudden, it's like, uh, oh, by the way, um, we found it under the sink here. And it's like, found it, What? what's this briefcase? Yeah, yeah. What's the importance What's the of, importance of right, this briefcase? What's significant about it, yeah. Other than it's Marcellus's. And then yeah. it disappears. Mm-hmm. And then it pops up again in the diner where Jules is like, I'm not giving it to you. It's like, we at that point, we know he's not going to give it to him. Yeah. But but to reintroduce it and, you know, almost imbue it with the light that is spilling from it. Right. Um, I think does a disservice, honestly, to that plot device in yeah. other movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's a good point. And I've heard this criticism about the briefcase. I think, for me, I, I like that the you don't know what the briefcase is and that... It's open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, I am under the theory that it is uh, because I, I tend to look at this after, after recently watching this rewatching this film. I looked at it with a maybe a more like spiritual lens of like I think it is uh, because the code is six 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 and uh, and I know Ving Rhames had a band aid because he cut his uh, the actor cut himself shaving or yeah. whatever. But you know they say the devil takes your soul out of the back of your head, so I think it's a soul thing. Like that that's what I that's what I choose as the viewer to see it as and i do think it ties nicely with the theme of redemption as well as the whole divine intervention uh plot point that happens in uh the bonnie situation and jules uh who i think is the only dynamic character in the whole fucking thing um has that moment of clarity where he's like oh like i don't think i want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. um and uh as i think I heard it on another podcast. It's like that he kind of breaks up with with uh, with Vince, right? It's kind of a breakup between the two uh, hitmen, and uh, and Vince's reaction is so totally like opposite. He's like, "Shit happens. It's whatever." And they have that really great scene where he's like, "This is a fucking miracle," and I want you to acknowledge it's a fucking <laughs> miracle. Um, and I think that works well because um, I don't know if there's like a direct connection f- from. Um, uh, Jules's moment of clarity, that divine intervention, that sort of spiritual moment that happens, to what happens with uh, Marcellus with his with his hypothetical soul in the briefcase. Mm-hmm. But I do think it works with the whole idea of like re- people being being given second chances or being given, um, you know, Mia's given a second chance at life. Um, uh, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny are given a second chance. Right? Knowing what we know they those two hitmen are capable of doing, they got off pretty fucking easy. Like, mm-hmm. they're pretty lucky. Um, and, 
uh, uh, shit, what is the other point? Oh, um, Butch uh, going back to save uh, Marcellus from uh, the Deliverance Boys, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> trying to make light of a very fucked up scene in the movie. Because that was uh, what the movie was missing, is a rape scene. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, I mean, again, it's an homage to fucking Deliverance. Yeah. And, like, I don't, you know, I think that's what it was. But uh, regardless, still problematic. Anyway, I think it just goes back to the idea of, like, I think... I think the MacGuffin does work because I got that. I like me as a viewer, like I got that from it. Your viewing of it is like, fuck this, this doesn't work for me. <laughs> Robert or Kevin's viewing of it is going to be completely right. different. And I think that, or <laughs> maybe know. the same. I don't know. Maybe we're on the same page. But I do think that's what makes the film work. And I think that's what makes that symbol work because it's really whatever you want it to be. It is kind of like a almost like a higher power moment in the film. It's like, this is, you know, obviously this thing is important to these characters enough for them to, for the stakes to kind of uh, um, align or uh, work for like how, it, it does have significance and I think it's up to us as us chasing the film to mm -hmm. put that significance on it. Didn't have significance to you, didn't work no, for you, no. worked for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I go back to, like I said, um, you know, when I said it kind of does a disservice to MacGuffins in general. So like mm. I grew up watching like really old detective story and we're not yeah, talking yeah. like, oh, I watch, I mean, I watched the stuff from the 70s. Right. We're talking like Humphrey Bogart stuff. So like yeah, from, to yeah, me, yeah, a yeah. MacGuffin is the Maltese Falcon. Right. It's right. what is Rosebud and Citizen Kane. Right. You could have what is this briefcase, but it follows through in some manner where mm -hmm. it is at least referenced throughout the movie, not yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the the characters that the two characters that have any interaction with it show up at this point in the movie and that point in the movie, mm -hmm. and then we have that long stretch, which is Butch's story. Right. So you know, not having it have a, a part in that part is yeah. what kind of doesn't work for me as mm. um, imbuing it with anything more than it's a fucking briefcase with some lights in it. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of where I, that's where I'm at with it. And, right. you know, yes, I, I understand that we're all going to put different meaning in it and, yeah. and that kind of thing. You know, everybody has their own theory about what's in the briefcase. I actually don't care what's in the briefcase. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a, like, Let that be oh. on record. Uh, <laughs> I don't... I said, not like, give a shit not about the fucking briefcase. Um, I, and I, I mean, no, it's a good point, right? You know, like, like, I don't, like... If you're using, you know, if you're if you're going back and you're thinking about the, if we're just looking at the the definition of what a MacGuffin is right. and how the motif of or a symbol of a MacGuffin in filmmaking, maybe doesn't work right. that well. But it's it's more it's you know it's that. But it's like I said when I'm saying that I don't care about it as I I actually don't think I will agree that I don't think it is necessary to know what's in the briefcase. Right. I acknowledge that because. Yeah. It, you know, doesn't necessarily play a huge part in the movie. It, right. it is whatever we want to interpret it as. Right. However, at that point, it becomes unnecessary to me as the mm. viewer if you are not going to follow through on it in some other manner. Have it show up in another vignette. Have Jules, uh, you know, we see them handed over to Marcellus, but we yeah. see nothing, no acknowledgement from Marcellus of its value to him. Mm -hmm. Or anything, it just gets delivered and it's gone. Well, if you know, we follow the done. soul, if we follow the soul theory in the in the and if we look at it like chronologically, right, right? He gets the briefcase, and then the situation happens between Butch and right. Marcellus, right, where he sees Marcellus and then he saves Marcellus from uh, the Deliverance Boys, right, the racist fuckheads, mm -hmm. right. And I think Marcellus shows an act of mercy, and in a sense, there that is the act of redemption. So I do think, like, if I'm again, this is my interpretation of it. You know, I think other people would be like, "That's a bullshit theory," <laughs> but I do think it works in the sense of the uh, again the theme of redemption, like that there are that these characters, and again, like. I think that's what makes the film really work for me because Tarantino like really paced this film with all this postmodern sort of pastiche. Like he's using all these like mundane conversations in a way to kind of distract us from really what I think is like at the core is that these people are actually like there's moments like they they are human beings and they have like they have moments of clarity. I think he does it better in his later films. I think mm -hmm. his dialogue improves. Like I do feel like. There is a lot of Tarantino. Well, I mean, 
I would argue maybe there's a lot of Tarantino in all of his characters. <laughs> but I do think like if you look at a film like Inglorious Bastards or even Once Upon a Time in America and compare that with Pulp Fiction or even Reservoir Dogs, there's a huge contrast and a growth in his style and 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 the humanity he paints that. But we see I I think we see a glimpse of that in Pulp Fiction, and I feel like again that's I maybe it doesn't work as a MacGuffin. But I do think it works for me as a symbol mm-hmm. um, and as a, an interpretive device and then as, a, as, a, as really like a plot device for, for the film. So I want to circle back to what you were saying about Marcellus um, showing an act of mercy. Yeah. I don't think him not killing Butch is an act of mercy. Mm. I think it is an acknowledgement of I owe you. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. That, those are two different things. Maybe not mercy, but maybe what I mean to say is grace. Maybe a moment of grace is what yeah. I see it but I, you know, if, you know, even, even kind of, okay, if I, you know, I, I don't want to say, I don't want it to sound rude. Even if I buy into your, you know, um, you don't have soul. to buy into it. His soul You're roasting this fucking thing. I'm not trying to convince you, I guess. Um, so the thing is, I think you know. Okay, his soul is or isn't in the briefcase, whatever. Sure. But um, I, you know, t- again, I don't see it as you know whether it's a moment of mercy or a moment of grace or anything yeah. like that. It is Marcellus acknowledging mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, he was in a shitty, shitty situation, and yep. this guy who owed me nothing came back. Yeah. And all it is is, you know, we're, we're squ- square. We're square. We're square. But yeah. if I see you here again, yeah. that, you know, that goes away. Right. Right. I'm giving you this, you know, tiny, tiny window to get the fuck out of L.A. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I'm going to kill you if I see you again. So right, that, right. to me, isn't mercy or grace or anything. It is an acknowledgement of... Um, what is more important right now? Right. The fact that this guy took some money from me that I can get back. I right. can make more money. Or this guy who raped me. Yeah. Right. And here's this guy who took money from me and didn't let me, you know, get further yeah, brutalized yeah, by a bunch exactly, of people. That's exactly. not, you know, it's not mercy or grace or anything. It's like, we're square. We're even, you know, I have more, you know, I've got bigger fish to fry right now. But I also would argue that, like, Marcellus had the choice to do that. Right. Like he didn't. He, I mean, I think the choice was you're right. Maybe that's an int- that's your interpretation of what it is for me. If it fits with sort of my interpretation of this mm. film, I think it is a moment of 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 grace. I do feel like um, it is a moment of like and obviously it's played out in this sort of kind of subverted macho bullshit, which I think the movie actually does a good job of and Tarantino's usually does a good job of is sort of subverting the sort of macho characters. I mean, look at how Vincent and Jules end up uh, after the Bonnie situation where they're like wearing the Tarantino clothes, uh, the character's clothes, you know, yeah. they're like completely like their, their status is completely taken off. They go from the cool suits guys a bunch of dorks. to, yeah, to a bunch of dorks. Right. As he says. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, again, I think it's just a, a difference in, in interpretation, mm-hmm. but I, but I, but I believe it's valid also. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's uh, let's get close to, to unmasking here eventually. Um, and so let's uh, before we do that, let's do best thing, worst thing. Um, and so we want to hear what you all, what each of you think was the best thing about the movie and the worst thing about the movie. Um, and uh, let's uh, let's start with uh, Alexander. Uh, best thing about the movie is the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I would argue that is probably the best thing about any Tarantino movie yeah. is mm-hmm. he definitely knows his music. Yeah. Um, the worst thing about the movie... <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I could list so many things. Um, I, I think it's just the, the casual way in which he uses certain language mm-hmm. um, certain portrayals of of characters female and male and um cloaks it in this homage you know i'm doing an homage to Mm -hmm. and and that like that is supposed to make us go you are forgiven Mm -hmm. (laughs) right right um i think the best thing about this movie if i had to like pick one specific thing um would probably be samuel l jackson's performance in mm. this film i think is i think it's probably the best thing he's ever done wow. i mean he's he's that monologue he does um 
and how frightening and intimidating he is and the the, the Ezekiel 25:7 I think it's 25:17 yeah. monologue is, <clears throat> is 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 fantastic. And I would also say the we didn't talk about this but the Christopher Walken monologue the Gold Watch <laughs> monologue is fucking awesome. It's one of the greatest monologues ever in. Um and and to kind of bounce off worst thing to bounce off of Alexander's point, yeah, like wasn't a huge fan of self-indulgent Quentin Tarantino <laughs> saying the N-word yeah. uh, uh, during the Bonnie situation. It's completely unnecessary, and it, like looking at it back on it now, it's like, eh, this is uncomfortable and really not cool. Um, so, <laughs> I yeah, I would say all the kind of the unnecessary or, you know, use of the casual use of sexism, homophobia, racism, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of. Right. Um, so, yeah. All right, well. That's where I'm at. Let's unmask. Let's talk about how we really feel. And, uh, Brian, keep going. Go ahead and go first. Um, I I wasn't wearing a mask. I, <gasps> I <laughs> My God. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like this film. Um, I, I mean, it is one of my favorite films. I think it's probably my favorite film of all time. Um, wow. I, yeah. I, uh, and even re-watching it, like, I can still rewatch it with a 2021 lens and still appreciate the things I really like about the film mm-hmm. while also holding the idea that, uh, as I said earlier, Tarantino is a problematic, uh, individual. Um, but I can't also deny that the man has also made great art. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, uh, I, I stand by it. I stand by what I said. <laughs> so Pulp Fiction is a good movie. Okay. Uh, Alexander. Uh, I don't like this movie. <laughs> uh, so it's interesting. So I hadn't seen this movie in probably 20 years. Wow. Um, I think probably the first time I see it, saw it um, was right when I decided that I was going to watch every movie ever nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. Right, right. Um, and so I was probably about like 15 or 16. And I was just watching, I was just consuming and wasn't necessarily like actually critically thinking about things. Sure. And so I remember liking it when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. I'd given it four stars. I'm like, this is great. I bought into the hype. 20 years later, I'm watching it and I'm like, I may need to revisit a lot of those movies because <laughs> yeah. um, I, I just don't think it holds up. And it is, you know, I would say, yes, definitely my viewing of it is tainted by a 2021 lens. Um, I don't think tainted is the right word. I, well, I mean, it's, it's a proper, it's a, You know, yes, but like you were saying, you know, being able to acknowledge art even if it's problematic. The prestige right? of the, the movie. Yeah, yeah the prestige it. of the movie right, is tainted. Exactly. For sure, That's yeah, what yeah, it is. Totally. So it's like, I don't view it the same way that I did when I first yeah. saw it, and therefore, for me, it doesn't hold up. It's, you know, two and a half hours long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, the, the thing that kills it for me is the entire butch section. It's just momentum killer yeah. for mm-hmm. me. It was That's just, fair. Like, the I Fabian, felt like I was dead in the water. The, it was just, the Fabian motel yeah. scene is... Is a little like, <laughs> all right, let's move it along. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, it was also the second time I saw this after probably a decade, decade and a half plus. Um, I will say that although I want to echo that ta- all the t- Tarantino as an actor dialogue <laughs> made me want to crawl out of my skin um, and all the other stuff um, about homophobia and misogyny and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I, there was a certain like uh, pacing or cadence to the film that I did kind of enjoy. Um, I also, um, I, I really do, I'm a sucker for like dialogue that is um, kind of at a totally different angle than most like dialogue in terms of like exposing a character by not like directly just like stating their goals and beliefs right. and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I do like that aspect of it. Um, yeah, it's hard to get out of the 2021 lens but also for me what really kind of knocks it down a little for me in my estimation is like its influence on films and short films and filmmakers like to this day mm-hmm. like the Pulp Fiction poster and just like how people uh, do that and I know it's not necessarily Tarantino's fault but you know I just I've seen a lot of this done a lot of times so going back it mm-hmm. did kind of cut uh, uh, a little bit of the edge uh, off of it, but I, I still enjoy it, um, and still very mixed on Tarantino, which I'm sure we'll get in the in the in the in the extended plot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think the first time I saw this was in college, 
Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering, but um, but yeah, I think this is probably the only other time I've seen it. Also, um, because I don't know, it kind of stays with you enough that it doesn't feel I don't, I don't feel obligated to rewatch. Really, I mean, he's got other movies that are I think are more fun on a rewatch. But I agree um, with that. Yeah, um, I think uh, I think I, I pretty much I agree with. I, um, Kevin and Alex, what y'all, Alexandra, what y'all are saying that I don't know. It's I think I think the shine has worn off a little bit. You know, I think I think it's the 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 rugged independentness <laughs> and the experimental like oh we're raking eggs here um, is like doesn't isn't what it was right. Like mm-hmm. I mean I think that there's more more experimental movies that have come out since that do all the same things better. I think the one thing that this movie is the the soundtrack still very, very good. So good. I agree. All of his soundtracks are always very good. Um, and just like, he, he knows how to get, he knows how to have characters talk to each other. Like it never feels awkward. It always feels like a real conversation people are having, um, you know, regardless of the content of the conversation. Um, at least they seem like real people, you know? Um, and that's kind of, I, I don't think I'm breaking new ground saying that he's very good at writing dialogue. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of where I, I, I think it's still, I, I like it more than I don't like it, but um, I was like, you know, I did clutch my pearls a little. That's awesome. <laughs> at the language, especially like, it's uh, Tim Roth. It's like it, in the first scene, he's immediately names like every racial slur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the thing I did when I when I watched it on uh, AMC Plus, the thing I which I appreciate that more streaming channels sponsored. are doing, uh, AMC Plus <laughs> um, was uh, um, they put it in they put a trigger warning at the beginning. It's like oh. the, the the this film is uh, not um, does not hold up to Whatever. the standard of inclusion or tolerance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which I think is, you know, I think what Gone with the it's they've done the same thing with Gone with uh, the Disney yeah. Plus, Disney Plus, older like, movies, I, a lot of them have. Yeah, them. again, I, I think it's everyone's choice in this room to like watch or support right. Right. Tarantino, but you know, I think yeah, again, it's yeah, it goes back to just like it's a cultural, it was a cultural phenomenon for the time, right, right. Um, and I said the same shit about American Beauty, and we could look back on that and be like, holy shit. Jeez, Brian with these fucking 90s movies. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Can't deny it in my body. That's okay. That's okay. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, everybody, that's, uh, that's Pulp Fiction. Um, as we all mentioned, we're going to keep talking on the extended play after this. Um, it's over on our Patreon. Um, and if you've got thoughts about Pulp Fiction, you can email us at 24flamespod at gmail.com. Or... Um, Find us on social media, 24flamespod, and wherever you get your podcasts, go ahead and, you know, show it to show it to your friends. Leave a rating, review, subscribe, whatever you want to do. Um, all the same podcast stuff every podcast tells you to do. Um, it does help, so please go ahead and do it. Um, and let's see. Yeah. Other Patreon stuff I said during the break, um, and so this, uh, this little ending bit's a lot shorter than it used to be. Um, and let's see. Yeah, this, show, this episode of the show is produced and hosted by me, Robert Bohorkas, co-hosted by Kevin Connor. The head-to-head panel this week was uh, Alexandra Calero and Brian Taves. Our show music is composed and performed by Rob Joins and Will Paulson. And our network and co-op party fish media. It's produced by Quasi Phillips, Will Paulson, and me, everybody. Um, and we'll be we'll be back in a couple. <laughs> let me just bash all my gear here. Um, we'll be back in a couple weeks with uh, with another Flame Off episode. Um, and I don't know what it is yet. So Quasi, it'll be a Quasi surprise for everybody. Um, but um, yeah, so everybody, we'll uh, we'll catch you in a couple weeks for for another Flame Off head to head, and we'll. Um, be into horror season after that. It's coming up fast. Uh, so yeah, everybody, take it easy. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
Partyfish Media acknowledges that it operates and records on indigenous Duwamish and Puget Sound Coast Salish land that is still home to the Duwamish tribe. This land is stolen in violation of the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. We are committed to uplifting the name of these lands and community members from these nations who reside alongside us. For more information on this land, its people, or ways you can help, visit duwamishtribe.org or realrentduwamish.org.